Good evening, Westover. We're so glad that you're here, whether you're joining us in the house or joining us online. You bless us with your presence. My name is Pastor Jonathan. I'm the Family Life Pastor, and I'm excited about what God's going to do tonight in our hearts. I'm excited about what he's going to do in your hearts tonight. I'm excited about what he's going to do in my heart as well. Tonight, we're continuing a series entitled Firewall, Gratitude Guards the Heart. Firewall, gratitude guards the heart. In life, we encounter situations and circumstances that come against us. And we need to firewall our heart. And gratitude is one of the ways that God firewalls our heart. And tonight, I'm going to talk about one way we can guard our heart is by changing our password. The title of my message is Change Your Password. Change your password. Now, we live in a global economy where big data is big business. We have for-profit companies. We have non-profit companies. We have social media companies that want to collect our data. And the whole purpose for collecting that data is they want to know about our shopping habits. They want to know about our preferences. They want to know our age so that then they can provide us with a customized experience that will either allow us or compel us to connect with their platform more often or buy the products and services that they're making available in the marketplace. And frankly, big data is a wonderful thing because it allows us to have a great experience online and in brick and mortar stores as well. But big data also, big data has actually impacted San Antonio as well. I don't know if you realize, but in a one mile radius of Westover Hills, there are three data centers. These three data centers, their buildings cumulatively account for nearly 700,000 square feet of building. Also, these buildings and the land that they sit on are worth approximately $300 million. Big data is big business. But the challenge with big data is there's also a risk to big data. And the bi big risk to big data is a data breach. Every company that collects information from people are concerned about a data breach. In fact, just in this year alone, we've had nearly 40 major data breaches with our information, where people are hacking into systems, attempting to steal personal data, your phone number, your social security number, trying to steal your identity, trying to steal your bank account, trying to steal information about you because they want to make a profit as well. It's a big problem. And this has affected nearly a billion accounts. This, is, this represents our data. We've entrusted it to them. In fact, recently, recently, I almost had my phone hacked. Yeah, I almost had my phone hacked. It was a lazy, run-of-the-mill weekday evening. I came home, as I usually do. I emptied my pockets. I took out my cell phone. I took out uh, my keys. I put them on the counter. And then I went to run some errands, as we usually do when we get home. And then a couple of minutes later, I come back and... I notice that my kids are not working on their homework. They should be sitting at the kitchen table working on their homework, but they're curiously absent, and the house is silent. And so I go looking for my phone, and my phone is gone. 
My phone is gone. So I do what every parent does. I start calling names, Aiden, Alexis, that's my son and my daughter, Aiden, Alexis, and they don't answer. And I hear whispering. And so I begin to trace out where are they at? What are they doing? And lo and behold, as I walk up the stairs, there are my son and my daughter, and my son has my phone in his hand, and he's punching a bunch of numbers. And some of those numbers are part of my password. And so I do what every sanctified parent does, is I got hacked off. I wish I could tell you that I gently said, well, son, give me the phone, tell me how you feel. But I got hacked off because I was getting hacked by my son. So I said to my son, what are you doing? And he gave me the deer in headlights look. And he said what every kid says, nothing, nothing. I'm not doing anything. And I said, you have my phone in your hand and you're typing numbers, you're doing something. What are you doing? And my daughter's there. She's scooting away from my, my son on the stairs trying to get away and she's covering her mouth, trying to hide She can't hide by covering her mouth. She doesn't know that. She's only six. But we're working on that. And I said, give me the phone. Give me the phone. And I said to my son, I sat down with him. I said, son, what are you trying to do? He said, dad. And his shoulders slumped. He said, dad, I just wanted to see the photos and the pictures on your phone. And I said, okay. All you have to do is ask. I'll give you access. I gave him access to my phone so he could see the photos and the pictures. But I learned something very valuable that day. I realized that there are moments in life where we believe that we are more safe than we are. In fact, we are more vulnerable than we even know. Many of us spend a lot of time making sure that our house is locked, making sure that our cell phone is locked, making sure that our computer is locked, making sure that the things that are valuable to us are locked. But some of us don't realize that we're vulnerable in our own mind and heart. We're vulnerable in our own mind and heart. And some of us, we are believers and we work hard to live sanctified lives, but we haven't realized that Satan, who is the hacker of our soul, has a password to access our mind and our heart. And that password is spelled W-O-R-R-Y. W-O-R-R-Y. Satan uses worry in the mind and in the heart of a believer to get access to our mind and our heart and to cause chaos and confusion and struggle in relationships. And I'm gonna share with you one thought that I think is important for us to help us understand a, a little bit about what worry is all about. Because worry is like praying for what you don't want. Worry is like praying for what you don't want. It has the same feature of prayer, which is a meditative, you're mulling over in your mind, you're reflecting on what's happening in your life, but you're praying for what you don't want. You're worried about what's gonna happen next year. You're worried about what's gonna happen with your job. You're worried about all these different things, but you're praying for what you don't want. Well, I have some good news for you. Tonight... Tonight, I'm going to help us pray a prayer for what we do want. I'm going to help us pray a prayer for what we do want. Some of us, we need to change 
our password and not give Satan any more access. In the words of the great philosophers Timon and Pumbaa, Hakuna Matata. Some of us need a problem-free philosophy. And those of you who are laughing, you're, you're carefree, but some of you are bunched up right now and you're worried. And you're sitting there and you're not looking around, but your eyes are moving and you're worried and you're saying, doesn't Pastor Jonathan know he's in church? Doesn't he realize that we're not supposed to sing songs from Disney? Don't worry, relax. I'm not gonna sing a song. I'm not gonna sing Hakuna Matata. I've been given specific instruction, no singing up here. Okay. I won't mention who it was, but I was told by someone in my family, don't sing. And so I'm not going to sing. So you can relax. You don't have to worry. Hakuna Matata. It's going to be okay. Now there was one person in the Bible who had the right to worry. And that was the apostle Paul. He wrote a book called the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians is known as the prison epistle. What that means is that Paul was in prison when he was writing the book of Philippians. He had a right to worry. He was in chains. He had no privacy. We understand from house arrest and from prison at that time is that people were shackled to someone every moment of every day. The Bible also records that he was possibly going blind. Did he have a reason to worry? Yes. But did he worry? No. He found a way to change his password. And I want to share these verses with you because I think it will make a difference in our experience. So I want you to join me in the Philippians chapter 4. And if you happen to have your Bible app, I want to invite you to open your Bible app. We have notes there available for you. We want you to access those notes. Make a difference in your experience. Here's what it says in Philippians 4. Verses four and following. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul found a way to change his password. And he shares them with us tonight. The first way he changed his password is he made the choice to rejoice. He made the choice to rejoice. Verse 4 says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. Now this word rejoice has an interesting feature. It is both a greeting and a goodbye. It's a hello, how are you? And it's a goodbye, God bless you. It's very similar to the word aloha in Hawaii, that ha- Hawaiian that has that same sort of feature, or the word shalom in Hebrew, which has that same sort of hello and goodbye. And I believe personally that the Holy Spirit whispered this word into the heart of the Apostle Paul because he was using the word to not only compel us to rejoice, but he's also telling us about how we need to rejoice. We need to rejoice always. We need to rejoice in every moment of our life. We need to rejoice when we're going to bed and when we wake up. We need to rejoice when we're with family or we're we're with friends. We need to rejoice when things are going great and when things are going poorly. God wants us to rejoice always. He wants us to make the choice to rejoice. This is what the Apostle Paul is challenging us to do. Some of us, we struggle though. We struggle because we are susceptible to what other people think about us. Sometimes other people make the choice for us. 
We don't realize what God is attempting to do in our experience. He's wanting to move us forward. And as we step into the holiday season, there's going to be somebody that's going to grind your gears. Okay? Somebody's going to grind your gears. It might be your cousin. It might be an uncle. It might be your mother-in-law. I just want to say that that's not the struggle I have because, frankly, I have the very best mother-in-law in the whole entire world. I hit the jackpot with Miss Denise. I don't have to worry about that. She's fantastic. The only downside to, to this whole family situation is that I have to share her with Pastor Alfred. What he doesn't realize is that I'm the first and I'm the favorite and he can just get over it. I'm hoping he doesn't grind my gears this Thanksgiving. I'll let you know in a future sermon. Some of us, we don't struggle with people, but we bought into this don't worry, be happy experience. We believe don't worry, be happy. And we, we believe that our biggest pursuit in life is happiness. We believe that if we could get another car, we'll be happy. A new house, we'll be happy. A promotion will be happy. If we can just find someone who we can love and, and they will love us in return, that we'll be happy. But happiness is not the goal. In, in the words of Billy Graham, the great pastor and evangelist, this is what he says, happiness depends on circumstances, but joy depends on God. When we put our faith in circumstances, they're gonna let us down. But when we put our faith in Jesus, he'll never let us down. We can always trust him. We must make the choice to rejoice. Now, was the Apostle Paul excited about being in jail? No. Was he excited about the fact that he was shackled and in chains? No. Was he excited about the fact and happy that that someone was there and he had no privacy? No. But he made the choice to rejoice. Paul was not defined by what confined him. Paul was not defined by what confined him. He was not dependent on his situation. He was not defined. And I want to challenge you. Don't let anyone or anything confine you or define you this holiday season and moving forward. God wants us to make the choice to rejoice. And and the one point I want to leave you with with this first point is this, is that we don't have to rejoice in the struggle, but we can rejoice that we have a Savior in the struggle. That's why he was rejoicing. That's why he was excited in his spirit is the fact that he had a Savior in the struggle. He wasn't excited. He wasn't rejoicing about the struggle. He was rejoicing that he had a Savior in the struggle. And you and I, we can rejoice as well because we have a Savior in the struggle as well. He made the choice to rejoice. The second way he changed his password is he realized that gratitude improves everything. Gratitude improves everything. Gratitude is the bacon of your spiritual experience. It improves everything. Gratitude is also apple dumplings on Thanksgiving. It improves everything. I'm not asking, I'm just saying. It'd be great. This is what he says in verse 4 and verse 6. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, 
rejoice. Verse 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and position, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He's saying rejoice in the Lord always. Do not be anxious about anything in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. We can do that anywhere, anytime, and with anyone. Gratitude improves anything and everything. Gratitude did not free the Apostle Paul from jail, but it freed him from the prison in his own heart. You and I are going to encounter situations that we cannot control. We're going to encounter people who grate on our nerves. They irritate our mind and they degrade our heart. But God wants us to be grateful and display gratitude because it will improve everything. I've discovered that my gratitude works best in good situations. Yes, it works in great, in good situations. And here's how it looks. I am grateful when I get a great tax return. I'm grateful when I get an unexpected Refund check. I'm grateful when I go to Ross and I buy something on clearance and the cash register, the person at the cash register said, there's an extra 20% off. I'm grateful for that. I've also discovered that my ingratitude works remarkably well in bad situations. It works remarkably well in bad situations. This is when my car gets rear-ended. This is when I find out that someone has just cut in front of me at the checkout. I've got two items and they've got 50. And then they get to the end of checking out and they're paying three different ways. Oh, grinds my gears. It's like going to a Black Friday sale and realizing that there's a big screen TV and there's a hundred of them and you think you're right where you need to be and then they say, sorry, you're 102. It really works well. Ingratitude works really well in those moments. But some of us, we take it way too far. We take it way too far. We have first world problems. First world problems are defined as problems that are minuscule and that don't make a difference in our life. Some of us, we get so bunched up because we go to get our oil change and they don't have Wi-Fi. We get grumpy because the, the thing that we're downloading takes too long. We get upset because our iPhone 10 has an autocorrect mistake and we're so bunched up about it. First world problems. We need to let them go. I was watching a video recently. There was an online poet. He was sharing the following just to give us a little bit of perspective about things that really matter. And this is what he says. In May 2003, Aaron Ralston was hiking. A boulder fell on his arm. He was stuck in the desert for four days and he had to cut his arm off with a pocket knife. On New Year's Eve, there was a woman bungee jumping in Zimbabwe. The cord broke. She fell into a river full of crocodiles and had to swim to the shore with a broken collarbone. Claire Chaplin was smashed in the face with a five-pound watermelon that was propelled by a slingshot. She She didn't know what was happening, but it was a freak accident. Matthew Bros was hit with a javelin and David Striegel was punched in the mouth by a kangaroo. Punched in the mouth. I don't know how, I don't know how that happened, but wow, he probably deserved it. <laughs> what was amazing to me and what was amazing to this person sharing the story is that these people had some perspective. 
When asked about their circumstance, the one thing that was common about all of their experience is they shrugged their shoulders, they smiled, and they said, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. And what occurred to me is that they were grateful to be alive. They were grateful to be alive. They realized that gratitude would improve their situation. And some of us, God is compelling us to embrace gratitude in our own experience because he was wanting to do something miraculous in our experience. Here's what I've learned. You can't be grumpy and grateful at the same time. They're mutually exclusive ideas. If you want to get rid of grumpy in your life, choose to be grateful. It will make a difference. Third and finally, third and finally, we've, we've talked about how make the choice to rejoice. Gratitude improves everything. And number three, gratitude guards the heart. Verses six and seven says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. God wants to use gratitude to guard our mind and our heart. And some of us, we just don't know how to access gratitude. We've been grumpy for a very long time. To help us understand this, listen closely. Last week, Wednesday of last week, I stepped out of my house and into my car and I put the key in the ignition and I turned the key and guess what? It didn't start. It didn't start. Now, this was, just to give you some context, my wife and I, we had just gotten back, we had just gotten back from vacation and we had more stuff to do than week to accomplish it. And I felt like this was a setback. This was a chance for me to display my ingratitude. So I tried to figure out, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? I realized that I needed to connect with my father-in-law. So I called my father-in-law. He lives right down the street. I said, hey, I've got a mechanical issue. I need you to come help me. Can you jump my car? Now, listen, if it would have been an iPhone issue, I wouldn't have called him. Because he is technologically challenged. He just can't do it. But he knows mechanical things, and so I had him help me out. He connected his battery to my battery, and all of a sudden, the battery came to life. My battery is an ever start, and in that moment, it became a never start. (laughs) It lost all of its start, and it became a never start. And when you have a battery that dies on you, everything goes out, the power steering, the windows, the AC, everything dies with it. Gratitude, gratitude is the jumper cables that connect us to God. They connect us to God's peace. God wants us to connect with him and to give us his peace. He wants us to get access to his peace. Some of us are going to encounter situations in our life where in an instant we go from an ever start to a never start moment. This is when we get the pink slip at work. This is when we get the phone call that our 16-year-old daughter has died in a car accident. This is when we get the news that our friend or someone in our family has cancer. We go from an ever start 
to a never start moment. And gratitude is the thing that guards our heart. A week and a half ago, on November 5th, in Sutherland Springs, Texas, First Baptist Church was viciously attacked. 26 people died, 20 were injured. Families were shattered. Hearts were broken. A community was ripped apart. And a church was wounded forever. Frank Pomeroy and his wife Sherry were out of town. They were in Oklahoma when they got the call that their church had been attacked. Sometime later during that day, they learned that their daughter Annabelle whose 14-year-old passed away. What grief! What pain! What anguish! What a tough situation for him and his wife. I'm talking about gratitude guards the heart and it gives us access to God's peace. This past Sunday, he stood in front of his church. And he stood in front of his community and there was about a hundred other people who came in from all around the United States just to be there in solidarity with him and his family. And this is what he shared. How can we have Thanksgiving in a time like this? Because I thank my Lord, my God, that those 26 that are no longer with us are dancing in his presence today. It is we who are left behind that are having to struggle. And I think together we can come together in that struggle and say, thank you, Jesus, that we have one another, that we have you, Lord, and that we know where our friends and our loved ones and our family now reside. Wow. He discovered the God of peace. Somewhere along the line, he discovered who God was. This verse, verses 6 and 7, there's a word that says, present your request to God. This word request actually means demand. You and I, we can demand God's peace. God's peace is always available on demand. Some of us, we don't know how to access God's peace. We stick the key in the ignition of our life and we turn it and there's no cranking power. We can't get access to God's peace. But guess what? God's peace is always available on demand. He's always available to connect us to his peace. And as we close, I want to invite you to stand with me. And I want to invite the prayer team to come forward. And in just a moment... If you are needing to pray gratitude prayers, if you're needing to access God's peace in your life, I'm going to invite you in just a moment. Some of us are here and we are struggling with turmoil and challenge and pain in our experience. We don't have God's peace, it keeps us up at night. We're frustrated and we're irritated. We have no joy. We have no cranking power. We have nothing to help us. I want you to know that the God of peace is here. The God of peace is here. And before you come, I want you to realize that peace is a person we seek. 
not a feeling we experience. In just a moment, in just a couple of weeks, we're gonna celebrate Christmas, and right before Jesus was announced, right after he was announced by the angels, this is what the angels said. They said, he is the Prince of Peace. Some of you need peace. Some of you need peace. And in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come. I'm gonna invite you to do something that hundreds of people have done here at Westover over the years. They've taken a step of faith saying, God, I don't know how you're gonna do it. I don't know how you're gonna provide peace, but I know that your peace is what I need and I'm hungry for it and I desire it. And when you come, I want you to come with great expectation and I want you to tell the Lord, I want your peace. I need your peace. I need gratitude in my heart. I need to experience you fully in my experience. And if you are experiencing turmoil in your heart or in your mind, I want you to come. I want you to come now. I want you to come. And someone on our prayer team is going to pray with you. They're going to pray a prayer of peace. Together, together, let's connect with the God of peace.
God we serve. He's there to provide peace in our struggle and in our storm. We can have gratitude, not about our circumstances, but because he stands with us. God, we are so grateful for the way that you have challenged us to change our password and the way you've worked in our hearts tonight. I pray that you would insulate their hearts with gratitude and with your peace. May they know that they can access your peace at any moment. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It has been our pleasure to have you here at Westover tonight. God bless you, and you 
are dismissed.